I declare bankruptcy! Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression? Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Why, you ignorant slut! Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. You're listening to Great Scott. My name's Jay Ray, and with me is my desk mate, Jacob. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, I'm glad to finally be here. It's been a crazy week for me. Uh, over the weekend, my podcast computer died, so I managed to scrape together some old parts I had in a some old parts from a friend and cobbled together a new machine. <laughs> I'm on a new mic now. I don't know if it sounds any better or not, but yeah, I'm just happy to I'm just happy to fucking be here. <laughs> Boom. Getting that explicit tag early in the show. I know, man. <laughs> um, so we have some uh so there's changes changes abound, right? We've got um, Jacob doing all these changes with his technology over there. We've got Franken computers and new microphones. You got me in this room, and I've got fans going, and I've got webcams gingerly placed on top of tripods and microphones in my face and funny hair going. But big change, bro. We bro. have a sponsor, a new sponsor. Yes, uh, we are now sponsored by Zencaster. Uh, they are the people that have helped us make our audio much better. Some of the people on Reddit uh, mentioned how much better we sound. Uh, they're great if you're into podcasting or anything like that. Uh, they're the single best thing I found online for it. Uh, if you use promo, co- promo code BROKENJARS, all caps, and it is case sensitive, so you need all caps. You get 20% off for a three month plan or a yearly plan. So it's pretty good. So, but we have a, like a legit sponsor now. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. We're doing things. Yeah. Woo. Um, and for real, we can attest to the quality of the whole service. So if you are a budding podcaster who has people kind of strewn about who participate in your shows, Zencaster is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, utilize our code to get a get a cool, cool discount. And, and, yeah, it's great. And one thing that's nice about them is they do have automatic post-processing. So if you don't want to deal with putting your stuff into Audacity and all the other stuff, you just click a couple of buttons and it does it all for you and it's super nice. It's great. We love it. It is great. You'll mm-hmm. love it. End of commercial. And of course, <coughs> so, uh, we are, is we're coming to you on Thursday, mm-hmm. which is not a normal day for us. And it's going to be a bit of a shorter episode. It's just holidays and summer and all that stuff. It just gets in the way, you know? Yeah. So we're here, we're doing the stuff. Uh, so we're hitting up first episode today is heavy competition. So, oh my goodness. There's your notes. Okay. Yeah. Which is um, directed by Ken Whittingham and directed by Ryan Coe, which I believe is his first directing credit. I think that's correct. But I don't know. (laughs) Um, So we're we're deep into the uh, Michael Scott Paper Company story here. Um, We've seen that they have their office. We see that we've had their dream team. Put together, um, and now we're 
now we're cooking. Now we're doing some sales, right? We had a, gas. Exactly. Um, and it's, um, it's kind of putting Dunder Mifflin in a position of having to be defensive, right? Right, which is something they're probably not used to. I mean, they're the big player, right? They they put Prince family paper out of business. Mm-hmm. So maybe they just, you know, it's not something they're used to. And plus, you know, the thing is, is Michael's got uh, an advantage here, right? He's been, he he knows all these people personally. He's dealt with them before. You know, he's got his giant Rolodex of invert color-coded information. Right, right. I mean, so to to kind of just really showcase the eliteness that is the Michael Scott Paper Company, we're treated to cheese poofs. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of downtime, I guess, in the office of Michael Scott Paper Company. There's only so much cold calling you can do, man. So you got to start chucking. Thing, yeah, I could never do. Like I, people are like, why don't you go into sales? Or like when I was like right out of school, all these people wanted me to be a salesperson. Like if I had to set, sell to survive, I would starve to death. Yeah, like uh, it's just not in my DNA to to be a sales guy. Yeah, I'm uh I'm with you. There's like so much um I don't know what it's called, but there's like a sneakiness to it, you know? Uh you know, in my job I run into sales reps a lot because people are trying to sell me stuff. I'm supporting my own company, sales reps or whatever, but there's like this kind of I don't know, they always talk to you with like a purpose and because of that nothing they ever say is genuine. And yeah, it's not a it's not a slope I wanted to slip down myself either. <laughs> so I've uh, made sure that it's hard for me to do so by my shining personality. <laughs> um, but that being said, I could definitely give people a run for their money in cheese poof mouth catching. Really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I show you now, but I've already chucked all my poofs, <laughs> cheesed them in my. Uh, Ryan, who is a member of Broken Jars. We used to be very good at this type of thing when I when we lived near each other, and I once hit, I once dropped an Altoid in his mouth from a third story balcony. Boy, that is like asking for either a choked and dead <laughs> Ryan or a chip too. <laughs> they landed right on his tongue. It was like wow. Uh, oh. Who are the Who are the basketball guys on I was, YouTube? I was just trying to figure out who the hell they're what they're oh, called. Oh. Uh, Bro, bro, something, uh, hi, hijack, hoop, hoopla. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let us know in the comments, gang, because because <laughs> we forget it. Did. Dude, uh, perfect. That's who it is. Dude, perfect. That's it. Not bro. It's dude. <laughs> oh, that my. I don't feel bad. My first thought was bro too. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we just kind of see them do some. Fancy tricks, they're bouncing off of uh, clocks and they're throwing it way across the room. And the the piece de resistance is everybody throwing it into each other's mouth at the same time. It's all very impressive. And um, yeah. we're treated to, I guess they're, they've, they have a Pavlovian response that when they see a mouth agape, they must chuck a cheese poof. Um, <laughs> so Pam is, yeah, Pam's doing her talking head and she... Not even actually. She's just sitting there and she yawns, and then just cheese right. poops come flying in out of nowhere, <laughs> which is great. I just love that. Like she doesn't even mess with the water in her hair. She's like, whatever. Like maybe she didn't know it was there, but it seemed very much like a just like 
whatever, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. There's um there's a similar instance way back in Benny Hanna Christmas where uh Halper apparently throws a shrimp at Dwight um and it lands in his mouth. But that wasn't intentional. Like it just happened. It was just supposed to be Jim chucking shit at Dwight, right? Right. Um so they didn't keep it in the episode because they're like, that looks like CG. <laughs> like that just looks too too good. And I think that's very close to what this is. It's like that cheese poof in the hair is too perfect. <laughs> So um, so we're kind of treated to, you know, we have some instances of Pam going up to Dunder Mifflin just to kind of visit, right? Uh, right. And in this particular case, Andy is selling off different bits of his wedding. Right, which, which becomes sort of like the B storyline. Uh, but so he, uh, he is demoing Here Comes Trouble, trying to get them to... Uh, you know, sing or perform at their wedding, which I don't know if I could do. I mean, really, an acapella group to to march down the aisle towards? Um. Well, the pentatonics are dope, and they're very they're very in right now. Um, but if I could get the ladies from Pitch Perfect to um, yeah, ring, but they're the ladies from Pitch Perfect. I mean, come on. They they well, all of them are actually singing, and um. Well, I, I know they are all actually singing. I'm just saying. I mean, that's that's a little different when they're like legit movie stars and stuff. No, yes, I, think, I totally want Andrew, Anna Kendrick at my wedding. Yeah, no, I think I think Andy Bernard and um, Becca Mitchell's, which is Anna Kendrick's name in Pitch Perfect, I think right. are basically on par in their professionalism of acapellaness. Oh, Becca could to- would totally crush Andy. No, how dare you! Andy's well, a, Andy, Andy seems like would, an like, angel. Like Andy would try, like, try to hit on Becca, and he would th- and it would just totally throw him off his game. There's no way in hell he could out outdo or even come to the level of Becca. Well, uh, I mean, it sounds like you've never heard his bass solo because <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's so excited for it. Nothing plays, and like it doesn't sound in the same key or anything. It's just. Just whenever I whenever I see that scene, all I can think of is uh, is Jack Black in School of Rock because there's so many times where he's like he does those kind of solos where he's like ding ding, you know, like you're gonna do this. It's like ding 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 ding, all this other stuff. So it's like I just always think of that uh, when I see this part. Um, you you have here in your notes nine grand for Here Comes Trouble. Right, uh, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I uh. Would I pay nine grand for Anna Kendrick to sing at my wedding? If I had the money to spend, yeah, sure, that's what it is. But if I was like going through the regular pains of planning a wedding, which I will never have to do, fortunately, but if I was, no, it seems like an unnecessary expense. Now, if I could get you know the pitch perfect girls to like play a concert during the reception for nine grand, that's probably worth it. Yeah, the whole like the a whole full crew. set, you know, right? Minus Rebel Wilson, I feel like she'd be disruptive. I'm trying to have a low key event, and I think she might turn it into a rager, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so another thing that's going on too is uh, Dwight's having some problems with his new shirt. Um, he's seen in the um, that weird kitchenette area, and, and he's basically freaking out, right? 
right. Because like, it's a long sleeve shirt, which I I swear we've seen him in it before. Like he wears, I think, like yellow long sleeve shirts or something. Uh, I mean, I think in the beginning he does because he doesn't wear yellow all the time. He doesn't always wear yellow at the beginning of the series. Like I think it's somewhere in season two where he starts wearing it all the time. Right. So it's a little bit of a retcon, but not really. But I mean, he's basically been in some form of yellow short sleeve dress shirt for five years, give or take. You know, four, four, three and a half, four seasons. And, you know, it's the the long sleeves are, you know, hampering his attack readiness. Right, right. Which, you know, it's a big deal. I, I mean, why would Charles endanger the office to such a point to hamper Dwight's attack readiness? Doesn't he know what's going on here? Well, it could it, be Roy all over again. No, it's true. And in an outburst, he uh, knocks over a cup of straws or utensils or some nonsense like that. Um, but Charles is, says he's looking good and, you know, Dwight's a yes man anyways. Um, but we do see that he goes on a bit of a rebellious streak in this episode by right. secretly feeding details to the Michael Scott paper company. Mm-hmm. But like, but even for this, he's not really a yes man. Cause like his thank you to Charles is like, thank you. Like he's through gritted teeth. He's saying thank you to Charles. I mean, I think he really does like Charles. Um, Oh yeah. He definitely likes, and we see that foster down the road. We, we, we get this great talking head with him when he was talking about how, like how, you know, Dunder Mifflin used to be like Rome. Yeah. War torn Poland. And, Wild Poland. West and, stuff, yeah. and there was just <laughs> a lot going on in that chaos I thrived. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the, have you ever had a bad dress code? Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm a difficult fellow, Jacob. I, uh, I'm not wearing it now, but you know, I have a lip ring. I've got the stretched ears. Um, I like jewelry. I got necklaces and bracelets and I paint my nails and all that kind of stuff. So any semblance of a dress code is a difficult dress code for me. Uh, um, you know, I, my current job, I get away with wearing a nice pair of jeans and a untucked button-up shirt. But even that sometimes feels criminal. You know, borderline, you know, fascism. Fashion fascism. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's so weird because we live in this kind of era where, you know, our... Our Fortune 500 companies are like Google, right? All these like Silicon Valley young guy startups and stuff where people come out on stage and what are they wearing? They're wearing a vintage tee and like, you know, faded jeans or whatever. And then you get into your job and then you can't do that. And it's like, you know, but these are what millionaires wear. Millionaires (laughs) wear, you know, torn up Star Trek t-shirts and I want to do that. Um, Right, yeah. And I get it. It's like I would understand dressing up when I know I have to meet someone, and as a marketing person, that's mm-hmm. fairly often. But I that I I understand that. But on a day where I'm not doing that kind of stuff, and I'm doing design work or I'm composing campaign stuff or whatever, it seems like I should just be able to, you know. I'm not even saying wear gym shorts, not even cargo shorts, a nice pair of dickies, you know, uh, uh, only half torn t-shirt. You know, only half, 
Only half. A, a little Three bit. Three quarters, of, that's pushing it. Yeah, a little bit of the raccoon smoky eye makeup. Whatever I got to do, you know, whatever. Um, no, all dress codes are terrible, so if I were Dwight, I would kill myself. <laughs> Man, you would not have survived at my job. No. Up until no. recently, because they just relaxed the dress code. Up until recently, it was like Dockers, uh, collared shirt. Uh, not tennis shoes. So I had to be like dressy kind of shoes. So I just I wore a pair of like Doc Martin boots because those are nice looking. Yeah, yeah. No, but, I mean, I I started my professional career doing freelance weddings, so those were pretty bad because like you have because there's two ways to do a wedding, Jacob. You could wear all black like a ninja, but that could be a t-shirt, you know, and you're just supposed to be in the shadows. Or you dress to the nines and you try to blend in looking like you're somebody who's like there to attend the wedding. Right. And uh, the people I tended to work for were not the ninja people. You know, we were always the dress to the nines people. So I had like one suit. I only had to wear it every two weeks or whatever. And then the rest of the time I'm not doing nothing. Um, I could have lived with that. But this constant <laughs> button up is insane. It's terrible. Travesty. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Tangent over. Um, where are we at? So yeah, we uh oh. So Andy, uh, okay. So Pam kind of has had some negative comments back uh, when we're trying to Andy's trying to sell stuff to her. Um, so right. Andy kind of pulls Jim aside and's like, "Hey man, like listen, I'm looking out for you. Your lady is like a control freak." God, it's such a bitch move by Andy here. Like, you can't do this. Like, no matter how good of friends you are, you just cannot do what Andy is doing here at he, all. Right. Period. I mean, ultimately, and he won't say it, but what's really happening is he's just trying to bring Jim down so that him and Jim can be single bros, you know? Like, there's no right. like, and, genuine concern. Look, I understand the whole. You've had a bad relationship, so you're overcompensating thing. Because Lord knows I've done it, but I mean, you just can't do this. Like, you can think it all you want, but you can't like just go to your bro like, "Hey, dude, you shouldn't be with that woman." Yeah, it's um, it's bro code. Ladies have it. Uh, people of different sexual orientations have it. It's just not something you're supposed right. to do in a regular societal context. I've only done that. I can only remember doing it once to to a friend of mine. I was like, "Dude, you should not be with this girl." I mean, if it goes to that like actual craziness, right? If someone's being physically beaten, or there's like obvious public abuse, um, but in this context, Andy is like, <laughs> right, right. He's just way overreacting yeah. to everything. Uh, which is not the first time we've seen him do it this season, right? No, because this is what Andy does. Well, because he was freaking out when Kevin was talking to Lynn. Right. Um, it's definitely like his MO since he got dumped by Angela. Yeah, yeah. He's getting, he's getting but, a little sensitive. You know, I can understand it a little bit. That would be a hard thing to do to you know, have your – to realize your fiancé has been boning somebody else. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, Yeah. It's it's tough. But there, Jim has a great line. It's really underrated because he kind of says it under his breath. But he's like, "You're coming at with at this with almost no knowledge." So right. of course I'm going to trust your opinion. 
And he says it right to his face, and Andy misses it somehow. No, Jim does that a lot to like Michael and Dwight and stuff. Like he'll just kind of repeat the obvious thing that foreshadows that he is picking on them. Um, I guess th- that's that's what's great about Jim, but also kind of like what made me eventually dislike him a little because he's a little jerky, you know. He can be, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um. So and we we flash back downstairs to Mike's got paper company. Uh, he's gotten the info. Michael's gotten the info about Ed's tires. Yeah, think, yep. yeah, Ed's tires. So he's all and he's telling Dwight or telling them he's like, all right, look, talk about this, this that you distrust women, and <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah. Bam is like, I can't. I'm not going to do that, and. Ryan's like, oh, I can get there. He's like, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's terrible. And we 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 learned about the uh, the the Michael Scott Paper Company morning cheer. Yeah, which is basically an insult cheer from like, bring it on. So <laughs> uh, was it's U G L Y? You ain't got no alibi. You ugly. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna cheer it out, but that's what it is. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michael's not very creative. He's like, hey, this is great. We should do this. Everybody's going to love it. It'll pump us up. Um, and then Pam has a short, real short talking head, where she goes like, you know, I'm here. I'm part of this. Yeah, she's like, okay, I'm giving all I got as best I can. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Charles brings in Dwight. Um and he kind of does a thing that Michael never does, which is like to give him props to his face. He's like, you know, you've been doing good. You've been handling this whole thing well. And I just want to make sure that you know that I know, um, you know, and like. And I want to give you more responsibility and we should go have a drink this week. Basically everything Dwight's ever wanted. Right. For Michael, Michael to do. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, it kind of turns. Dwight a little into it being more difficult for him to kind of help out Michael, right? Right. Um, and is this when the phone call is? The Will uh, It's yeah, it's coming up, but like I don't know. But this is very in line with Michael's character, not really talking to people, like. I don't know where Michael got it that it was a bad thing for a boss to like tell his workers they were doing a good job. But back in Joffair in season four, you know, he has that line about, you know, I would never say this to her face, but she's a great worker and all and very creative. And like for some right. reason, he just doesn't tell people that they're good at what they do. Like he doesn't give that positive affirmation directly. Maybe he tries to through jokes, but in the obvious you know, a lot of times get missed, but I just feel like it's just a weird thing about Michael's management style. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say he refuses to, um, <coughs> excuse me, but it definitely seems to be more of a case of like, uh, he doesn't understand when that positive reinforcement would bring out more good work from his employees, you know? Right. Um, you know, because in in a you know the, in the conference room, you know, he's always saying like "good idea," you know, "keep going," yada yada. But I think on a day to day, like his performance reviews, as we saw when he was with Jan, 
uh, are kind of like lackluster. They're, you know, he doesn't really pay attention to them. And maybe like what you're saying, he kind of takes for granted. He just assumes his employees know that he thinks they're doing fine. Right. So he doesn't it, take that. And the way he pro, and you know, it might be one of those things where like his his thought processes of how to get them to understand that he appreciates them doesn't work. Like it, it doesn't work, right? You know. Right. Yeah. So I mean, th- yeah, those. Those little, uh, hey, good job, goes a long way. Not yeah. as long way as, as raises, but they go a long way. Right. So Michael Michael calls Dwight. It is like, hey, I need your prices so I can undercut you. And he's like, then Dwight starts balking. He's like, eh, I don't know. I really can't. There's this new guy, very cool, very Will Smith-esque. Right. Like you get the feeling like this is like Will Smith is one of three black people that Dwight has known. Like Will Smith, Stanley, and oh, the guy from season three, uh Martin Nash. Martin, yeah. <laughs> so you, you kind of get that feeling. And, and so Pam writes something on a piece of paper, he's like, it's talking about you, and he he shrugs off and Ryan's like, come on, yeah. Right, right. And he's like, are you talking about us? Is the new guy Charles? Right. Some would say it's the exact situation that we're in right now. <laughs> what I thought was crazy is that, so Michael's like, you know, the old boss has always been good to Dwight. He's like, no, you haven't. Right. You've been terrible to Dwight. <laughs> I mean, Dwight hasn't always been a good employee. You know, he's been a good worker, you know, top salesman of the branch and all that jazz, but like weapons, right? (laughs) Um, Safety training. Right. Uh, Physical relations with co-workers in the office. Um, General disruptive behavior leading to the heart attack of one of your sales rep, you know. (laughs) So as a co-worker, he's not great. But he's good at his job when he's doing his job. So it's like the fact that he still had a job. I mean, the fact that any of those people really continued to have a job in that corporation is a surprise. <laughs> so so Dwight got, I think, treated as well as he probably deserved considering his his own quirks. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's just one of those crazy deals. You're just like, what the, f- what the fuck, man? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and you respect dibs, right? <laughs> right. I'm not a bar- barbarian. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and this, of course, leads to uh, a uh, a sting operation outside by the dumpsters. Mm-hmm. Where Michael goes to, um, you know, he thinks he's going for a regular meet and greet with Dwight where they're going to share some of this information and Mike's going to try to bribe him with $3 or whatever. Um but Charles is there. I'm surprised Charles didn't like hit Michael. <laughs> right, because obviously we've seen that Michael aggravates him to the point of that uh before. But I mean I think too Charles might have a better sense of business than Michael. Mm-hmm. So he might see at this stage where the Michael Scott Paper Company could be heading in the next episode. 
like not specifically, but he just knows like, you know, the logistics of a brand new business starting out in this particular industry is probably not great. So he right, doesn't right. he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to get angry about it. Michael Scott is more of just a nuisance at this point, you know. Um, but when Michael goes back to tell the troops, he reveals that he was hit with a pee-filled balloon. <laughs> I don't know how it got in there. A funnel, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I know. He really, like, dives deep into this particular analogy. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, Charles is like, look, we can't do this. You can't. You, you just can't do this, okay? You just can't do it. Right. Period. And he's like, do you understand? And Michael's like, I understand nothing. Uh, uh, <laughs> Which is uh, so good. Yeah, but... Favorite line of mine. I have, I've said that during work meetings. <laughs> they're like, they're like, so do you understand? And I'm like, I understand none of that. <laughs> it goes over really well. The, the worst, <laughs> the worst thing I ever said during meeting was from How I Met Your Mother. Uh, it's from like the third episode and Ted says self-respect is overrated uh-huh. uh, to, to Natalie. Uh, if there's any high Metro Mother fans out there, you probably know what I'm talking about. And he does this very high pitched voice because he's do- like talking through a puppet sort of thing. Right. And he's like, and someone said something about self-respect. And I was in a meeting with like a VP, the CIO. I wasn't even thinking. I just splurred out. Self-respect is overrated. Oh just like goodness. that. And everyone just looked at me and I'm like, sorry. <laughs> That's a uh, good job, man. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so it, so we give flashback to Jim. He's messing with Andy again. Andy just like, I'm so happy. I'm so, he says like, I'm happy like 10 times right. to to Jim and he's like hey let me be your traveling pants right which so, I don't know jack shit about that book slash movie except for Alexis Bledel was in it she was one of the the girls she was one of the pant legs I believe but I don't even know what like the pants symbolize so <laughs> pants man like are they is it actually pants Oh yeah, was it like I believe I believe from my my time at Blockbuster that they were uh, like a good luck charm type pant, and I believe the context of the movie takes place either when all the girls are together, or with whoever's wearing the pants at the time. So this is kind of like uh, that crazy dog movie I'm never going to watch that just came out, A Dog's Purpose or something, okay. where, where we follow the pants. Uh, and these okay. are the adventures of the pants amongst these friends. Okay. Well, that's more than I ever know, knew about that movie. And that's the most I'll ever know about that movie. There you go. Um, but so and then Michael, like he's had it. He's yeah. just had it with Dwight. And he, he throws down the gauntlet. And he's like, look, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to come after you hard. <laughs> I brought you in this world. I can take you out. Right. You know, quote, quote Bill Cosby. Uh, and so we find out that he's going after Harper Collins. Yep. The book publisher, right? Which, I mean, that's huge, right? Yeah. I mean, they can't be. Well, they refer to it as the whale, right? Like, that's one of Dwight's biggest customers. Right. But it, they can't be their only paper supplier, right? 
No, uh, yeah, you're right. It's probably there's just that local branch of them or something. But, you know, who knows? Right. I mean, I don't know. Do, I don't know how many does like HarperCollins have multiple book 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 presses or. Yeah, I don't really understand how book presses work. I totally skipped I learning about it, and I'm back into eBooks now. And I'm like, oh, I get that. That <laughs> that that that's just words. That's just digital words. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then we're kind of treated to this like really interesting side of Michael. Where um, he kind of gets a little sadistic, right? So he says his hard comment really lands hard on that D. That's what she said. Boom. <laughs> um, and then he says, you're going to listen while he's still your biggest client. And then puts his phone in his pocket. And, like, he's at the place, right? Right. And it's so slick. Yeah. Like, yeah. He doesn't get because he – well, this is, this is uh, after the whole lunch thing. Oh, that's right. The whole lunch debacle. Um, Wait. Is that? Yeah. No, no that's it, next up. Is that next? No, it's this episode. Uh, this episode. Right. And, you know, like, so Dwight steals everything from him. And so he, he just decides that, hey, look, we're going to do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's coming after you. And you, you see this great move by him. Like, Dwight tries to call Schofield, gets nothing. Right. Michael calls Schofield, gets directly through. Yeah. Because he's got the, the screen, Wilkes-Barre screen, tickets, whatever. Um, I, I will, I think his first phone call doesn't go through, right? Like, it's kind right, of yeah, he's like, <laughs> um, Yeah, no, exactly. He's got Penguin's tickets. Right. And we, this is where we really see him with the Rolodex. He's like talking like, hey, did so-and-so ever make JV? Da, 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 you know, all this stuff. And I really like these set of episodes because you see glimmers of why Michael is the manager and why you would, if you kept, if you caught Michael on the right day, why you think he would be really good at this job, you know, because he, right. he's smooth, you know, he knows how to sell he knows how to do that relationship building type type cell, and it just it's really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, we see it at the Chili's, um, right? And then we see it again during Pretzel Day. Um, you know, where Pam is tasked with kind of monitoring Michael's daily thing, and like there's a whole chunk of time that is just dedicated to Cosby impressions. Speaking of that son of a bitch, <laughs> uh, but then uh, by the end of the day, he closes some huge account. And, like, Pam is, like, this is, like, a big deal. And he's, like, oh, whatever. You know, it's just what I do. So he spent seven hours of his eight-hour day fooling around, eating pretzels and listening to Gary Glitter. Uh, but he still closes the big sale, which basically makes up for the entire day of him slacking off, you know. Um, he says a thing uh, in another episode regarding Jim. Uh, I think it's during Beach Day where he's, like, he's not a very hard worker. You know, it, he'll uh, he can finish in an hour that takes me a whole day. Right. And that's right. kind of like a parallel where like, yeah, Michael probably could have closed that deal before lunch, you know, uh-uh. but he's futzing around and he doesn't finish it till 530 or whatever. But so, uh, yeah, so he's in the office of Schofield. Uh, Dwight has to 
make a mad dash to get over there. He's changing his shirt in the car and stuff. He's still fixing his tie. By the time he gets to the secretary, secretary. (laughs) sweet (laughs) hockey moves and avoids it. Then he just starts kind of like berating Mr. Schofield with facts about uh, their relationship and the the timeline that took place. Uh, April 13th, 2002, a Saturday. Yeah, he's like, notice my recall and persistence. Um, which maybe in a different context would be kind of a compelling argument, but it's kind of disruptive when it's in the middle of another meeting. Right, right. Um, so we all we learn that Dunder Mifflin has closed two branches. Which two? So, well, Stanford. Well, that was two years ago. They, he said this oh, year. This year. Uh, I don't know then. I mean, because Utica's still up. Buffalo is the one that closes in Company Picnic, I think. Right. Um, so we don't know that yet. Um, Nashua is, is still open. Holly just transfers. Is that how that goes? Right. Uh, well, we never know what happens, but we assume, yeah, that she transfers from Nashua to. Oh, because that's not till Saber, though, right? Right. That's not until next season. Yeah. Or two seasons. I think it's two seasons from now. Yeah, actually. it might be a while. Uh, yeah, so I don't think I know enough Dunder Mifflin branches to uh, pick that <laughs> up. So two, two, uh, two branches that we've never heard of before. That's right. <laughs> There's trivia here. No, there isn't. Okay, great. Um, so it kind of ends on a, uh, you know, it seems like the Schofield might go with Michael, maybe. Right, and we learned that all of Michael's colors means don't don't talk about it. Green <laughs> means go ahead and shut up about it. Orange means orange glad you didn't bring it up. Right, because as Michael leaves, Dwight says, "How is your gay son?" Right, which uh, I think the idea of asking about Mister Schofield's children is not bad. It's the speci- no, no, no. Yeah, it's the specificity of how is your case son uh, is probably not right. Hence the green sticker. Go ahead and shut up about it. Right, right. Uh, and we close out with assuming setting a record for most cheesy poofs in each other's mouths. Yeah, at thirty-two. Uh, who do you think that's real laughter, or were they acting? Like, were they, like, totally, like, business face stuffing cheese poofs into their mouth and then... Oh, you know they were cracking up. up They they were probably just filming and decided to, like, see what happened. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't see orange-colored drool coming out of people's mouths. (laughs) This is nasty stuff, man. (laughs) All right, so what do you give in this episode? Uh, I like it. I like it. Like you said, it's kind of Michael... uh, where he thrives. So we give this episode a 4.1 out of five. That's their worst sandwich. <laughs> wow. We are very close. Ooh. Uh, I really enjoy this episode. We kind of, it gets out of the bridges where I just, yeah, I just really enjoy this episode. I, it hits on a lot of levels. So I gave this four out of five meatball parms. Oh wow! Yeah, we're right there. <laughs> we even got our like ratings near each other. We spent too much time together, Jay Ray. That's what it is, man. You know, my uh, my brother hit me up today, and he was like, "Hey, by the way, 
The Office is going to be taken off Netflix. And I started freaking out. I'm like, I only personally own up till this season of The Office. And we're going to be wrapping it up in the next episode after this. Um, and I'm like, well, now I have to like buy it if it's not on Netflix anymore. That's crazy. Um, but, of course, it was a rumor started on Twitter that went crazy. and I, But I was just like, you son of a bitch. Yeah, I'd be panicking. I was freaking out. I'm looking up Amazon. I'm like, all right, season six, The Office. I don't <laughs> Yeah, I saw a little bit about that today. It was like, uh, no, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so our next episode is Broke, uh, episode 25, written by Charlie Grandy and directed by our very own Stephen Codsworth Correll. Not his last. No. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, it's like, ah, oh, that's a really interesting trivia for you. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, oh, boy, my girlfriend's home. <laughs> Featuring my girlfriend from the hallway. Um, Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, this episode continues the, the storyline of the Michael Scott Paper Company. Right. We are treated to uh, their traditional 5 a.m. ritual of delivering paper. Oh, I couldn't. I mean, not that I couldn't, but oof. I mean, I get up fairly early. I get up five forty-five every morning. Right. But get like being functional at five a.m. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, part of my freelance lifestyle before I became whatever monstrosity I am before you. Um, I used to work at like kind of like random events, and this one event I worked at was called G Sauce. The Garden State Outdoor Sports Show. Um, it was okay. down, yeah, it was down in Edison, New Jersey. Uh, it was one of those occasions where I had to suit up proper. Um, I had to get there at like the ass crack of dawn because I'm setting up camera equipment and televisions and all this kind of crazy jazz. Um, and I remember waking up that morning. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like I could do this. Um, but it was a three three day job. So that was Friday. So by Saturday, I'm like, you sons of bitches. This is the worst. What kind of old McDonald time frame is this? It was terrible. Um, yeah. So I think like one day sometimes it's nice, but every morning. Terrible. It's never nice. No. But it's easier to do like one or like, you know, get up a bit earlier. Right. And honestly, if Michael was the guy picking me up, that would be worse. <laughs> Because um, we see him try to pick up Ryan. Right. He's like, keep inching the van forward. Uh, keep yeah. I mean, if I was Ryan, I'd just like, I'd quit. A year ago, I was the VP of one of the most popular paper companies in the world. A couple months after that, I was in prison. <laughs> and now I'm trying to get into this van uh, that says Church of Something in Korean. For a hallelujah church yeah. of grain, I think is what it is. Yeah, so I, I would have quit. But Ryan sticks it out. He keeps going. Um, and then well, we go, you assume it's a paycheck of some kind. Well, that's like, true. Or have they even taken a paycheck yet? Like, there's all sorts of weird business questions and stuff. Well, right. Especially in this episode where we find out that they have no money. Or will have no money shortly. Right. Uh, so, like, he picks up Pam and he starts yelling at... Like, it's got to be, like, 5.15 in the morning, and he's yelling about boners. There's boner in this, like, neighborhood. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's not as bad as someone mowing their lawn at 5.15 in the morning, but it's pretty right. fucking close. 
Um, in the context of my household, my girlfriend wakes up way before me. She wakes up at like six o'clock, right? On the nose. I'm in bed till 740. I hate you. I know. So by six o'clock, she's up. She's taking the dog out. She's making herself breakfast. She's, um, you know, watching some TV. She's playing some video games. She's got like a whole routine. Very organized. 740 strolls by like, you know, I'm like trying to find my pants still. I'm brushing my teeth while I'm trying to eat waffles at the same time. It's a much more terrible thing. So in this context, I'm wondering, like, is Jim literally just, like, lying in bed as Pam's trying to run around and get ready? And then he just gets out of bed just to say goodbye to her. Probably. With really, uh, uh, you know, a Jim boner. (laughs) It's possible. I, I, I just think Michael is not off base by shouting it. And it's a fair warning to those with children because they don't need to see that, you know? Uh, right. So they're driving around and Pam's like, Hey, do you have any, any coffee? And Michael hands her a big travel mug and says milk and sugar. She's like, Oh, thanks. You're a lifesaver. She drinks it and realizes it's just milk and sugar. Right. Yeah. And he says he drinks it every morning. How is Michael not a billion pounds? Yeah. Like, milk and sugar has got to be the worst thing you can do, right? No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's like a, it's like worse than chocolate milk because you're not even getting the benefit of the chocolate part. And it's just the sugar of the chocolate milk. Right. It, well, yeah. And it also depends on – so it's like fatty and sugary. I mean, I think eating a stick of butter might be just as healthy. Right. Yeah, it's terrible. And, uh, and honestly, I don't think it sounds like it tastes that good. I mean, maybe it tastes fine, but... I mean, I've had milk and rice, or milk and sugar, like, you cook it, cook rice up in it, uh-huh. and that's not bad for, like, a, inside of, like, cereal in the morning, do that, but, oh, no, I couldn't just drink it. I mean, milk is sweet as it is, at well, least to me. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Uh, milk, sugar, and rice? Yeah, like, yeah, you, you, you cook it up in the milk and the sugar... It, you cook the rice up in the milk and the sugar, so it absorbs it and kind of eat like cereal. What what is that from? What, what you uh, talking about, Jacob? It's uh, like something my great grandmother used to make me when I was little. Like, okay, okay, so it's like a, a meal from the old country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever the old country is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, that old wasteland. <laughs> that, that's what it is. Okay, okay. Um, yeah so they're so they're waking up and they're doing these deliveries and they've been doing them every morning since they started getting customers and uh, right they keep having uh, Korean women old Korean women trying to get into the van as they're in different places is is it multiple women I always thought it was the same woman Uh, I mean that would be hilarious if it was the same woman I think you're being racist all Asians I might be but I've always like I've seen this episode Probably 30 or 40 times at least. And I've always thought it was the same woman. So well, let me see. I'm scrolling down to the cast here on the on their wiki page. Uh, recurring. No, no one is cast as Asian lady who gets invaded. <laughs> so that is an IMDb question. I will find out another day. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, so. Yeah, that happens, and Ryan's like, hey, we should get a delivery person. 
Oh right, and that's kind of starts the whole the whole question of them trying to figure out what right. the finances are if they can afford another employee. It, so in this episode, we really have two A storylines that are on a collision course with each other. Right. So upstairs, David Wallace shows up, and we learn that Charles is a kiss ass. Yeah. And we get a great like talking head where he's just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and then you know. Wallace is trying to like calm the troops. He's like, "Hey," he says. First, he says hi. Right. Kelly's like, "Hi," and he starts talk. And Kevin's like, "Hey." <laughs> yeah. And so he's trying to calm the like everybody down. And he's like, "Look, this you know Michael Scotts. He's been hurting us." And Phyllis is dropping bombs, which is like been her like shtick this season. Right. It's like that episode of Scrubs where the janitor's just busting chops, but she's been doing it all season where she's like, well, maybe if you'd just taken his phone call, this wouldn't have happened. Well, that's the thing. And it's like, because everybody's already feeling bad. And then she comes in with that, like, finish him kind of comment. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah for sure. And so I just thought that was really funny. And then, so... They, David tries to pull Jim in. Charles tries to stop him. So eventually they go to the conference room and we go to what I assume is an accountant's office. Yeah. Right? So, yes, exactly. Some type of like a third party financial firm, probably. But I guess, um, I mean, I guess Ryan's been doing the numbers for them, right? So that it seems you would like they, assume, yeah. So it seems like they've brought Ryan's files over to this individual to quote unquote crunch the numbers, right? And so here's my question: So we learn that as they sell more paper, they're going to be they're going to lose money if they stay at the same prices, right? Right. So my my question is because I, I get where, where Ryan's going is if we sell enough, we'll become profitable over time. Mm-hmm. So are they are their contract like are are they undercutting Dunder Mifflin to the point that they're losing money? I mean, it doesn't sound like it. it sounds like their margins are ra- really thin. But I mean, it, they have. Some big, biggish clients. They should have some, or unless they're like, like, like a dollar a re or a dollar a box sort of margins, like thin, thin, thin. Like this just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I, be, I imagine it's not just the prices of the product itself, but it's the overhead. Right. Know? Well, and that that's part of it, but well, like as they as they sell more. That they'll definitely not be able to have enough to hire another person, but then they'll have to start paying more hours for the people who already work there because they're out delivering more paper. Right. It's just their their margins, like they're not just thin; they're non-existent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for you know, uh, the company I work for deals with like cheap stuff. You know, we sell, you know, we'll sell a product at thirty-five cents. And it cost us, you know, like thirty-four cents to make it. You know, sometimes we're talking about a penny per piece of a product. Um, So in that case, we make money by selling in bulk, right? Um, So I wonder if also that's another problem of theirs is because they have a church van as a delivery vehicle, and they just can't get the the volume to get there. 
Yeah. So maybe, maybe eventually they would actually turn around, but it just seems like some of their contracts they have are are losing money. Yeah, I mean, the guy also said that Ryan was using the wrong model, the fixed price model, right? Based on the variable cost model, which I mean, is because kind of mumbo jumbo well, in some respects. Because I'm wondering in this context too, where like you know, we'll do a we'll do a corporate deal with a, a bigger company that has you know multiple locations, um, and we'll sell much cheaper to them because of the bulk. But then similarly, we'll sell locally, and then that price is probably double or triple what we sell right. to a corporate company, um, and maybe they don't have that either. Maybe it's the same price regardless. Right. It's, yeah, there, there's got to be a disconnect somewhere in their pricing, yeah. Yeah. which, you know, obvi- it's very obvious that Ryan didn't, look like, forecast any kind of cost increase. Right. And you just, like, this is, like, this, the one scene where you're just like, yep, Ryan's an idiot when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, he got his degree, but that's about it. Like, he misses the small stuff. Yeah, because even, I mean, I don't know what it was specifically. Maybe it was just the fact that he had a degree that allowed him to get that position. But as soon as he got there, he never did anything good, right? He instantly starts trying to do this website thing, which goes down. You know, there's pedophiles all over the freaking place. Um yeah, just he never actually leaves a positive mark. As soon as he gets there, he starts like messing stuff up. All right. Um, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's it's, it's it, this was weird to me. Like they 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 have to be either be losing money or they just there there's no way they could their margins are so thin they'll never be able to get to the volume. Yeah, because we have to imagine that they started with some type of upstart capital, right? Um, so maybe too, that's just what they've been living off of. And like, while they're bringing money in, it's, they're spending it faster than they're bringing it in. Could be that too. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's, there's a bunch of stuff, but yeah, they just, I don't know. It was just odd to me. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, reasonable. I mean, Michael obviously wouldn't know and then neither would Pam. Right. And you know, and stuff. you know, he would trust Ryan. Correct. That's right. Which is always a mistake. That's right. Never trust Ryan ever. No. Uh, so, so Michael Scott Paper Company is now facing this bankruptcy situation. They're sitting. Yeah, on the they're floor. essentially out of money. That's right. Um, you know, and they just kind of start being depressed, sad sacks. We we find out that Pam was looking for a second job uh, that she got no callbacks for. All these like kind of cruddy retail jobs. Uh, we find out that Ryan never went to Thailand. He was in. Uh, Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. But it was a great Thai place. Okay. With pa- oh, or a place with amazing Pad Thai or something. Right. Michael loves Pad Thai. He's never like had he's Pad never Thai. Had right. <laughs> uh, and then so, Michael starts talking about this notion of the day Steve Martin died. <laughs> like, I feel like he wanted to start singing American Pie here and just, like, right. insert Steve Martin instead of yeah, the day the music died. Right. It was like the day the laughter died. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised this was not... Well, we know this was a parody song for Michael somewhere. We just never heard it. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so back upstairs. Yeah. Uh, first, well, well um, Dwight pitches that, hey, we should fill their office with bees. I've got a great apiarist that owes me a favor. 
It's a great idea. <laughs> and I love my or no, Jimmy's like, does he do good work? Oh yeah, like I've got a bad eight. <laughs> yeah, like it was just one of those things where he's like, not even upset. Skip like, a beat, like, right? Offended yeah. at the question, he's like, no, J- like Jim, you should know me better than this. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so Wallace is like, all right, we should just buy them out. Yeah, and then Charles like hops in real quick. He's like, "Yes, David, I was thinking the exact same thing, <laughs> but you didn't say it, did you?" And so they they send Jim downstairs, and he um, he's like, "Hey, you know, would you be susceptible to a buyout?" And so of course Michael and Pam are like, "Yes," and Ryan's a douchebag. He's like, "Maybe, right?" Um, yeah, and then like you know. And Michael's not getting it. He keeps trying to share this insider information that the Michael Scott paper company is about to go under. And Jim is just trying to, like, desperately shut his hole. Um, so they they broker this meeting. They're on right. their way up, you know. And uh, Pam and Ryan are basically like, Michael, just don't say that we're going to run out of money. Easy. No problem. Just the one thing. Don't say we're running out of money. Um, they hit the door. Michael's like, I could do this. They get up to the next floor, one floor, and he's like, "I can't do this. I'm going to." He's it. doubled over the other, like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so they make this triumphant entrance into the Dunder Mifflin office, and Aaron Hannon's there, and she's like, "You know, what can I do?" And Michael's like, "Michael Scott Paper Company for David Wallace," and it's like this kind of grand return, right? Right. Like you almost wanted to have a little, like, you know. Clint Eastwood, you know, like Western music playing. It's the gunfight at the OK Corral in the conference room. Right. Um, So they get into this meeting and we can't skip this. There's a great there's a great Michael line. It's like how the turntables (laughs) have turned. (laughs) Like, well, that is what they do, Michael. They do turn. And David Wallace kind of gives this like face. It's all like, man, it's been a while since I heard a Michaelism. <laughs> I've missed it. Missed this, yeah. but not really. So they get in there, and it's uh, Charles Minor, David Wallace versus the entirety of Michael Scott Paper Company. Right. Um, with obviously Michael leading the charge. And uh, as David starts talking, Michael shuts him down right away. He's like, I don't even want to hear your first offer. Yeah, I want to hear like, your second offer. Yeah, what's your second offer? And uh, it's it's 12000 Right, so four thousand a person. So after taxes, well, yeah, after tax, you're talking like three grand a person, two grand a person. Now I gotta say, without knowing what their starting capital was, I can't say if this is insulting or not. You know? Oh, it's definitely well. That's what I mean. Like, if they started with twelve thousand, they're breaking even, and maybe that's not the worst. Right. There's no way they had much more than that, you know? No, there's no way. It's Michael here. Come yeah, on. Exactly. I mean, his, his, his own Nana one. What were they calling him? Was it Nana? It was Nana. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah. yeah, Wallace gets starts getting into Michael's like, look, I know your margins. You're probably in debt, scared. Da, 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 da. He's like, I see your situation and I raise you a situation. This is probably the best Michael ever is in any situation in the entire show. Mm. Like he's just so calm. So there he's like, you know, 
You're, I know you've got a shareholder meeting coming up. Your, your best branch is bleeding. So he's like, maybe I don't have to wait out Dunder Mifflin. I just have to wait out you. Right. And like, he really just sticks it to David, which I like. Like, it was like, it felt like that middle finger that he should have given him when he quit, you know? That's exactly right. Um, yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of occasions where he does this. And I think what's so impressive, aside from that really great kind of uh, just slew of insults, work insults that he says there, is that um, this is like immediate gain that he's getting. You know, we talk about chilies or whatever, but that's like, that's big over time, right? Right. That, that's a dedicated supplier for a long time. That's like income you can depend on. But right here, he's like, He's talking about sixty thousand dollars right now, you know. They they yeah. draw some contracts in corporate, fax them over. They'll probably sign it before the end of the day. Like he's being Michael and he's getting paid. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, I, mean I don't know how. Well, obviously Ryan thinks he's getting all of it, but Correct. you know, assuming an even split, you know, like fifteen grand a piece after taxes, that's solid. And if we think that, assuming there's no other debts or taxes or right. you know all that other crap, but well, and, and we're and based on that, I mean that's enough money for him to start Michael Scott Paper Company too. Yeah, Michael, yeah. Michael. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they seem excited, and they well, ask. Well, here's something like you could almost guarantee that if they had taken the buyout, there would have been some kind of non-compete in the contract. Right, right, right. Like they couldn't start another company with that money. Right. They well, they, not in that industry, not in the paper industry. Right. right. Yeah. Um. So they get the room. The Dunder Mifflin people leave. Michael Scott Paper Company people stay, and they're celebrating. And they're super excited. Um. And then when everybody reconvenes, Michael uh, throws a wrench in the whole thing, and says no. <laughs> and then the Dunder Mifflin people leave again, so that he could be berated by his own people. Um. And this is where Michael kind of reveals, for some reason, he's aware that $60,000 is not enough, right? Right. They need more than that. They need jobs. They need health insurance. They need the whole nine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the only way that this makes sense for them. Otherwise, right. they end out on their butt at the end of the day. Uh, right. So if uh, so, he brings they, – they come back in and he pitches to him. He's like, look, I want my old job back, my parking space, uh, insurance – dental this time right. apparently michael scott did have dental insurance which could be you know related to all those cuts that they made in what season one right when dwight which, had to choose the health insurance plan yeah. Yeah. um and he just he kind of goes goes into him he's like all right our balls are in your court and well, david just sits there for a minute well, i was gonna say well charles said charles says something snarky Right. And who was and I want Charles gone. Right. He's like, I'm not firing Charles. Like, I don't care. I just want him out of here. Right, right, right. Yeah, so so now the balls are out and a bouncing. And um it's really interesting because David doesn't leave to confer with anybody. He just kind of makes a decision there. Right. And so it was like, does he have this authority? Or is it one of those things where he knows he can get it through? Because, I mean, right. if you think about the pitch to the board, it's like, look, we have an open manager spot that's filled. Right. 
We have, you know, additional salespeople with experience. And granted, salespeople don't make a ton, you know, they're, they're more commission than salary, which we, which is a whole episode arc later on. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and you can pitch it as, look, we're getting back the person with all these clients and, you know, he was the manager of the most profitable branch. So we're getting him back. So it's actually, it's probably easier to get through than just money. Yeah. Because it's money right away. Right. So like a, a $6,000 chunk, I mean, that's just a check, right? But like uh, a salary, you know, it, it will take some time for it to the, to get out that 60 grand and they won't be loot. They'll be gaining all those customers back and getting that money. So the cost benefit analysis and all that crap. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I don't know if he can really authorize that. But again, this goes back to the whole thing where we're just like, where's the fucking CEO of Dungeon well, yeah. well, you know, there's another interesting thing here, too, in that, like, a buyout probably requires shareholder approval, you know? Right. And essentially, this is just hiring people. Correct. And that's why it's not such a big thing. Also. But, I mean, yeah, but then there's other things that go into that because, like, you know hiring and all this other stuff so uh, yeah there's yeah anyway it's it's a, it's i don't know if he had the, the authority but he does it anyway right and he michael super happy kicks charles out puts his foot up on the desk like yeah this is mine yeah i mean even ryan got hired back right um yep and then uh doesn't let Charles say his goodbye speech or whatever, kicks him out, does the Captain Morgan on Jim's desk. So, okay, here's a question. Do you think David uh, capitulated because him not doing it for Michael earlier for something small cost him all of this? Like all this headache, all this trouble was him just not giving in earlier and he was too afraid to make that mistake. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, the thing about... I don't really fully understand chief financial officers, right? Like, I don't know where they come from. Um, I don't know what their responsibilities are. I don't well, know. Well, I mean, they're they're in charge of, like, accounting and finance. Well, that's the thing. Are, are they just, like, super accountants? You know, uh, kind of, and they manage that, and they also a lot of times are involved in like high level forecasting for companies, stuff like that. Well, that's what I wonder. Did like so? Did really Michael just kind of out salesman David because David's kind of out of his depth? You know, could be. I mean, he, he went in kind of assuming Michael's a bit of a joke because of you know Michael's history or whatever. And never seeing him in action, and then Michael kind of pulls out this whole thing, you know, of like how, from his perspective, Dunder Mifflin's the one who's in really in trouble, and then David kind of defaults into like a, you know, okay, I'm the financial guy. He's saying some stuff that makes sense. Maybe I got to do it. Maybe I mean, yeah, it could be, could be for sure. Yeah, I don't. I, it's possible though that like you know because he didn't give the figs sooner. <laughs> Now he's got to give Michael the job. Yeah. <laughs> and also, too, there's a, probably a lot of pressure that we haven't directly seen of actual oh, shareholders. Yeah, you know, like you said, this is their biggest, their best branch. I mean, this 
branch is keeping them afloat, probably. I mean, the entire company depends on Scranton right now. And I was going to say, when Saber buys them out, the only branch that stays in existence is Scranton. No, no, they, no, there's other branches. Of Thunder Mifflin, though? Right, right. They buy the branches. Because uh, uh, there's a Rochester branch. I mean, they're, they're, there's other, we see other branches in later seasons. But are those already Saber branches? You know what I mean? No, well, no I think they're or done. They're, they're converted. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. All right. So what are you going to give this episode? Uh, also a very good episode. Uh, I'm going to give it a four out of five turntables. <laughs> that one I didn't think about as much. Uh, again, uh, I'm right there with you. This is a four out of five for me. Really good. You know, just a good episode all the way around. So I'm going to give it a four out of five if only he had children. That's when you really apply the pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we are Great Scott, a member of the uh, Broken Jaws Broadcasting Network. Find us at Broken Jaws at XYZ. You can email us, Broken Jaws Broadcasting at gmail.com. We're on Patreon if you want to give us some of your hard earned money, which we will very much appreciate. Uh, we are sponsored by Zencaster. And yeah, you can find me at, at Jacob Ingalls on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at J A Y underscore R E Y. Uh, check out. Dangerous to go alone. This week we uh, talked about E3. So if you don't want to watch hours and hours of footage about video game nonsense, just listen to me and Amanda talk about it for two hours. Easy. Done. No nice, problem. Nice, nice. All right. Y'all have, y'all have a good one. Bye.